The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please be seated in God's house. I know that the room is getting full. Please just be reminded that uh, as our church grows that the front row is still here. I, I won't spit on you. Dorothy's the only one brave enough and I'm not going to... In the old in Brian in the olden days they called that the spit pit, but I promise at least I'll, I'll do my best not to spit on you. But, but we do have, maybe not all of you know this, there is seating upstairs. Uh, so just for future weeks as the room continues to get more full, we've got seating upstairs as well as here in the front row. So... Um, it's a good day to be in God's house, and I'm really glad to be here with all of you guys together. Um, turn your Bibles, if you would, Leviticus 20 and Proverbs 31. You can bookmark both of those places. We'll be in both of those places this morning. Proverbs 31 will be there first. If you're visiting with us, uh, you'll see those connect cards that perhaps you were given one as you came in, or they'll be underneath or on the back of the chair in front of you. And if you would like, you can certainly feel free to fill that out, and you can put that in the offering plate uh, this morning, and I'd love to be able to connect with you in that way. I hope, dear friends, this morning, I hope that you find here in this place not perfect people, because we certainly do not have any of those to show you. I hope that you're not here looking for perfect preaching or a perfect pastor or a perfect pastor's family, because we certainly have none of those either. Um, but I do hope that you find a group of people here that, that believe God's word to be true and love it and want to see it expressed in every area of life, that truly love God and his word. So Leviticus 20 and Proverbs 31. Let's go to the Lord this morning and let's pray. Jesus, be with us this morning in a sweet and special way, we would ask. And Father, do the work that only you can do of humbling the exalted and exalting the humbled. We pray in Jesus' name and all the church says together. In the year 1500 BC, Pharaoh was leading Egypt and the Israelite nation was in captivity in Egypt. And Pharaoh noticed that the Israelites were growing numerous, even despite the hard labor that they were being subjected to. So it became convenient for Pharaoh to order that all the male babies should be killed. You can read about this in Exodus 1. In 1400 BC, the Israelite people had adopted the surrounding gods of the nations that they were around, and they had begun to worship the false god 
Molech, the Canaanite god of Molech. Molech was a false god, obviously, a statue that had the head of a bull and the body of a man. And this god Molech was worshipped by offering your own children as a sacrifice. This statue would be heated up to an intense heat and the hands of the statue would be out like this. And and the Israelite people worshipped this god by heating the hands of this statue up to an intense heat and placing their own children on this and and their children would perish because of it. You can read about God's command against this in Leviticus 18. In the year 7 BC, uh, just like it was convenient for Pharaoh to order for the Hebrew boys to be killed and just like it was convenient for the Israelites, they would offer their children on the altar of Molech thinking that the, the, the false understanding was that this god Molech was going to bless their future children and make their future life better so it became convenient for them to kill their children in this way and in the very same way Herod uh, just during the time of Jesus' birth found it convenient to have all of the male children two years and under to be killed because he had heard of this Messiah through the wise men that came into that territory and he was fearful that his throne would be threatened from this kind of Jewish king that was to come from God's people and it became convenient for him to have all of the male boys two years two and under to be killed you can read about that in Matthew chapter 2 now these are what I'm moving into non-scriptural events but in 1937 in the history books you can read about a man named Joseph Stalin who similar to that of Herod found it convenient to simply annihilate a group of people that potentially could be threatening to his political place and power. It's known as the Great Purge, when Joseph Stalin killed more than 750,000 people and sending millions more to labor camps. It became convenient for him to do so. In 1941, when Adolf Hitler saw a what he thought a lesser race It became convenient for him to kill more than six million Jews and in the mix of that were black folks as well as anyone who had a physical deformity or anyone who was mentally handicapped in any way. And there is in our land today, in the world, in America, all over the place, pretty much anywhere that you go, there is a similar yet greater evil of abortion. And I say that it is, it is a similar evil because the reason for doing it is essentially the same, which I'll share more about that in just a moment. But it is a greater evil because the numbers of babies that are aborted in the world today in just the course of a couple short years outpace by far the number of deaths of all the other examples I mentioned put together. In America today, there are nearly one million abortions that are reported each year. And those are simply the ones that are reported. There are many states in our nation that don't report any, yet we know have many. One out of four women under the age of 45 today have had an abortion. In 2019, nearly 20% of all pregnancies in America ended in abortion. And many numerous inner city black communities, abortion is the leading cause of death. Uh, the vast majority of pregnancies in those places end in abortion rather than a birth. More than 75% of people in America who get an abortion willfully share 
that the reason they did it was for reasons of convenience. They willfully share, 75%. And perhaps the most disturbing statistic of all is that more than half of the people in today's world, in our nation today, that have had an abortion consider themselves, at the time of their abortion, to be either Christian or Catholic. So we see that just like it was for Pharaoh and for the Israelites with these fires of Molech that they would sacrifice their children to and Herod and Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler and, and these, these roundabout ways in which it became convenient to, to annihilate a group of people in the very same way the statistics tell us at least 75%. There's probably more that don't share on the medical forms that they fill out that the reason they're having an abortion is for reasons of convenience. We see that for the very same reasons as all those things we mentioned at the beginning are the very same reasons that abortion is in the world today. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 says, That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. The sinful heart is the same. The schemes may look different, but the, the sinful reasons behind it are indeed the same. So the question that I hope that we would be able to answer and answer clearly this morning is, what does God's Word tell us about what we should be thinking, saying, and doing regarding this issue of abortion? How should we think about it? What should we say about it? What should we be doing as the church of Jesus Christ this very day? So if you look in Proverbs 31, find your way to verse 9. And there's one verse there that will simply serve as a guide for us as we go through God's Word. Proverbs 31, verse 9, the first part says, Open your mouth. Let all God's children at New Covenant Community Church say, Open your mouth. Ready, set, go. It says there, Judge righteously. Say it with me. Ready, set, go. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Say it with me. And plead the cause of the poor and needy. This opening of one's mouth has to do with what we say regarding these poor and needy. And many certainly could fit underneath this category of poor and needy, but I think that we would say that the unborn baby is certainly in the world today this category, this poor and needy category. And for them, on their behalf, we are to open our mouth. It has to do with what we say. We are to judge righteously, church. This has to do with what we think. The judgments that we make regarding this issue, we are to judge righteously pertaining it. And we are also to plead the cause of the poor and needy. This what we say and what we think are means through which we will then do the part. This pleading the cause, the what we actually do, the pleading the cause of the poor and needy. And the point that I will focus in most of those three categories will be this judging righteously. We'll spend most of the time here. And this is why spending most of the time here, we'll, we'll address this topic first. How do we judge righteously? How do we think? What does God's Word tell us to think regarding this topic? How do we judge it? What do we think about it? And the way I will not be preaching this section of making a proper judgment pertaining this issue and, and, and seeing from God's Word what we are to think regarding it, I will not be preaching it from the standpoint of trying to convince that there's life in the womb. And the reason I will not is because I'm convinced that we are convinced that there is life in the womb. Uh, science affirms this. 
from the very instant of conception. A scientist can take that life and see it under a microscope and test it and see that it is indeed human life, living flesh, as much as you and I are living today. It's absolutely the same. Science affirms that there is life in the womb. Not only does science affirm it, nature affirms it. From the very instant of conception, livestock animals, cattle and horses and such, the very moment that they conceive new life in their womb, they will begin at that very instant to, gra to graze and to forage on different kinds of grasses that are better suited for a pregnant animal. Not only does nature affirm it, not only does science affirm it, but logic affirms it. You've probably heard, as I have, that people in support of this heinous crime of abortion, they will, they will say things like, well, it's just a fetus. Little do they know that the word fetus is the Latin word for little one or little baby. There are lots of fetuses running around this sanctuary this very morning, and all of them are cute as all get out. Logic affirms that this fetus is a life, and, and all that this fetus needs from the very instant, the very instant of conception, the only thing that that fetus needs to become a full mature adult is the proper environment, nourishment, and time, which is the exact same thing that the three-year-olds in this room today need. They need the proper environment, they need nourishment, and they need time. Logic affirms it, nature affirms it, so does science, and last but certainly not least, God's word affirms that there is life in the womb. Let all God's people say yes. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, the psalmist says to God. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. So the way I'll be preaching this is not to convince you that there's life in the womb, but rather I want us to make a proper judgment. I want us to have the proper thinking, to open our mouths, to judge righteously, and to plead the cause of the poor and needy, this proper judgment piece of this. I'll be doing it from the standpoint of seeing how the involved parties of abortion stand before an almighty and holy God. And as best I can tell, I'm a simple man. Perhaps there's more parties that I haven't thought of, but the ones that came to mind, the three parties that we could make a proper judgment on biblically, number one would be the babies that have been and will be aborted. Number two would be the people that have sorrow over the sin of abortion, true godly repentance and sorrow over it. And thirdly, the people who have no sorrow, no repentance over the sin of abortion. So this first group regarding babies that have been and will be aborted, what happens to them? What's the proper judgment? What are we to think through God's word regarding this group of people? How do we make a righteous judgment about them? And I'll tell you first, and then I'll give you my reasons. I believe with all of my heart that they are absolutely citizens of heaven and that they are with the Lord and will be with the Lord. I believe it with all of my heart. There is not one particular verse that I can explicitly point to this morning and say that that teaches us that that's true. But there's a theology built out of the entirety of God's word that I believe makes it inextricably clear that aborted babies will be with God, are with God in heaven as citizens of heaven. I'd like to give you, I could give you numerous reasons. I'll give you five that I'd like to share with you as to why I have come to this conclusion. 
And Jeremiah 19, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is speaking on behalf of this Molech Canaanite God worship and the babies that are sacrificed, the children that are sacrificed on behalf of this God. And he references them as the blood of the innocents. The blood of the innocents. It would be very strange for God to reference them as the blood of the innocents should they not be citizens of heaven. That's reason number one. Reason number two. In Mark chapter 10, the children, there's children in Jesus' day, and they're trying to get to Jesus. And we know this story well. The disciples try to rebuke them, and Jesus says, no, let them come to me. In fact, in verse 14b, part b of that verse in Mark 10, Jesus says this regarding these children that are getting, trying to get to him. He says, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So Jesus says of these children that are trying to get to them that he holds them up as an example and says, do you see these children? The kingdom of God is theirs. In fact, the receptivity that you are to have to the kingdom of God, the way in which they receive me is, this, is the model. It's the goal, it's the standard through which you are to receive my kingdom. Unless you receive it like them, you won't be in the kingdom. And lastly, Jesus puts his hands on them and bless them. Nowhere in scripture can you find God doing this for people that were not citizens of heaven. That's reason number two. Reason number three in Revelation 7 verse 9, it says that all tribes and peoples and languages will be standing before the throne room of God in heaven. It didn't occur to me until a while ago that, that there have been tribes and peoples and languages that have been on the earth that are currently no more that had never known the name of Christ. Now, I believe that the adults who had knowledge of God that suppressed that truth and unrighteousness, I do not believe that they will be citizens of heaven, but I believe that those peoples, through babies that have been aborted, through babies that have been miscarried, through individuals that were severely mentally handicapped, I believe that they have been producing citizens of heaven throughout the beginning of creation in that kind of way. Reason number four, in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, after David's child died, he says there in that particular verse there in 23, he says, I shall go to him, David says, but this child that has died shall not return to me. In David's mind, he understood that he was going to be re reunited with this child yet again. And number five, the last reason that I'll give you as to why I believe that aborted babies are, are with God in heaven. In Romans 1, verse 18 through 21, it says this. And this lends itself as to the reason as to how God goes about this, if you will. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible visible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what God's word tells us there is that the, is that the people who have not had the missionary to come preach the gospel to them, that even in creation, the nature, even the Godhead, the Trinity, even all of God's nature is revealed from heaven, that people have known that there is a God in heaven and they have suppressed it. What they have known, they have pressed it down, suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. That is what condemns a person. The unborn baby, the person who is severely mentally impaired, this means through which knowing things, they don't have the ability to know things, they have not had the, even the opportunity to suppress this truth in unrighteousness. So what is the right judgment in this, dear friends, this morning? What is the proper thing that we can think regarding God's word, regarding this issue of abortion? You be the judge of it with God's word in your hand, but I am convinced and I am fully convinced that babies that have been and will be aborted are in heaven. They are with Jesus. Jesus is still the gate through which people go to heaven, but God in his grace, Jesus holding the children up as a standard saying, theirs is the kingdom of God. You've got to receive it like them, and I'm going to bless them. I believe with all my heart that that is the way in which God deals with this group of people that is annihilated in our world and particularly our nation today. So what about the people... Moving on to this second group that we were to make a proper righteous judgment on to know what to think biblically about this second group of people, which would be people that have had an abortion, male or female, in support of it in any fashion, who do have godly sorrow over their sin. Which statistics would tell us if we are that, not mu that much different than other people in other places that Perhaps even a fourth of us have experienced that. And I'm speaking now specifically to the person who has godly sorrow. They have godly repentance over that. And you say, Pastor Ben, I've, I've committed this wickedness. In a time in my life, I've, I've consented, Pastor Ben. I'm a man, but I've consented to this person or an ex-girlfriend. or I consented this, to this abortion and but I've got godly sorrow over this sin. I'm repentant before God and I know that this is a precious creation of God and that what I did was wrong. Can, can God forgive me? Can I be redeemed and meet that child someday? Can I just tell you, dear friends, I don't know what it's like to have consented to an abortion. I, I, I don't know what that's like, but, but here is what I do know. I know that there was a man named Saul who was a murderer also. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a wicked, bad man. And when he, with repentance, met Jesus, Jesus washed him completely clean and forgave him of all his unrighteousness, cast his sin as far as the east is from the west, turned his name into Paul and made him a preacher. That's what I know is true church. I know that there was a lady who was a Samaritan that met Jesus by this well, and she was as lost as a ball in tall weeds, sleeping around all over the place. She was a messed up individual. But when she, with repentance, met Jesus because of the goodness and the grace of an almighty God who loved her, he forgave her and washed her completely of her sin and turned her into a missionary, the greatest missionary that had ever seen that city before. I know that there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a thieving tax collector. And when he, with repentance, met Jesus because of the goodness of God, because of his grace and his power over sin, 
When Zacchaeus with repentance met Jesus, Jesus forgave him and brought salvation to his household, saved him. He was absolutely an inheritance of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus had done. Somebody say amen. And also, church, I know those examples, but can I just tell you, I also know of another man who was a personal trainer. His name is Ben Schwederman. And he was lost as a ball in tall weeds too. All kinds of sexual sin, the worst kind of lust that you could ever possibly imagine. Lost as lost gets. And when that man, with repentance, met Jesus because of the goodness and the grace of God, he washed him of his sin completely. And I've been a recipient of it. And it moves my heart, church. It moves my heart to know that he is that good. So you ask me the question, could God forgive me? If I've committed that kind of sin, could God forgive me? And the answer is yes. If you have godly sorrow of it, He has forgiven you. Why? Because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. Your life is the recipient of the Micah 7 promise that your sin has been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. If that's good news, say amen and worship Jesus because He's the God who saves He's the God who redeems. So what's a righteous judgment on this church? What is the right way to think biblically concerning this group? They are, they're redeemed. They're forgiven. And oh, what a reunion. What a reunion in heaven that's going to be. It will not be one of shame and condemnation when you meet that child someday. It's going to be one of grace and purpose and a beautiful reunion that was only made possible by the cross. He's awesome for it, church. So we've seen how to judge righteously regarding the unborn child and those who will be. We've seen how to judge righteously and what to think biblically concerning the people who have committed this sin or been consenting of it but are now in a godly sorrow, washed completely, fully redeemed state. We've made a proper judgment on them. And the last group would be to consider how to judge righteously or the proper thinking with those who have no sorrow, no repentance regarding this issue of abortion, whether someone has had one or not. I invite you now to turn to Leviticus 20 as we see the way in which God dealt with this particular issue, this particular group of people, in the Old Testament. Now I'll preface this text, Leviticus 20, I'll preface it by saying this, that, that the mandate for us is different now than it was in the Old Testament. But there is a God behind this, the heart of God that has not changed. And I hope you see it for clarity this morning. Leviticus 20 verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. He will, I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from his people, because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. 
So we remember, church, that the same way it was for people offering their children on the altar of Molech for the purpose of convenience and a future blessed life, it is the same reason that abortion is a thing today that goes about in the same kind of way. And what I'm not saying at all, hear me and hear me clearly, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Christians today should go stone people who have committed this kind of sin of abortion. That is no longer the mandate for us. We are not in the Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. We are in the New Covenant. So that is no longer the thing in which God has called us to do. What I am saying, though, is that although the death of that person is different, the result of God's dealing with them is still the same. His face is set against those people. They will be cut off from the righteous. And the reason, I hope you caught that last part at the end of there, verse 3, the reason for which God deals with them in this way, it's because they have defiled His sanctuary and profane His holy name. The fetus, the little one, the little baby is not just a clump of cells. The planter wart on the bottom of your foot this morning is a clump of cells. The fetus inside the womb is a precious creation of God. It's not just to take your child. God says, when you've messed with that baby, you've messed with my name. You've messed with my sanctuary. You have messed with me. Which is why God says to that person, my face is against them. They will be cut off from the righteous. So what's a righteous judgment in this, dear friends? What's, what's the right thinking biblically concerning this topic? I hope it's been spelled out clearly that they will be cut off. There is, there is still, even for them, there's the offer of redemption, the same one that we're a recipient, recipient of this morning. That offer is for them. But if they do not find godly sorrow over this crime that they have committed before God, they will be cut off. And God will deal with them and God will have his vengeance in his proper timing. But it doesn't just end their church. Look to verse 4 of Leviticus 20, if you would. And listen to the continuation of this. God says, And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut, off his, cut him off from his people and all who have prostituted themselves to commit harlotry with Molech. So what God is saying is that if, if there should be people that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God says to those people in that time that if you witness someone in your land committing this crime and you turn your eyes from it you you hide it you don't say anything about it the same blood that's on their hands is going to be on your hands also and against all who have committed prostitution they've prostituted themselves to commit harlotry with Molech so I want to preach it to you this morning church like I feel the Holy Spirit so strongly encourage me to preach this this morning is that that the Christian and you put whatever title you want with that, the lay person, the congregation member, the church member, the deacon, the elder, the pastor, the people that in today's world turn a blind eye to it. And they tiptoe past it saying, well, we can't address that because it's a political issue. They've turned the blind eye to seeing this sacrifice of Molech. They, 
They're not trying to keep the peace in their church. They're hiding behind that, but they are, by definition, in God's word, a prostitute for the god Molech. They've committed harlotry with him, and God's face is against those people too. We cannot turn a blind eye to these things. God's mandate for the believer is different in the Old and New Testament, but there is a God behind it whose heart has not changed at all. So what's a righteous judgment regarding this group of people, this this unrepentant people and people that are in cahoots with them, turning a blind eye to it, choosing to be silent on some of these things? What is a righteous judgment? What are we to think? We are to know that the face of God is indeed against them. And that God's judgment abides on them and that we are to preach the gospel with them with great fear and passion, seeing these things for the truth of what they actually are. Proverbs 31 verse 9 that we've already read says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. If you're still with me, say amen. So we've seen of that guide there in Proverbs 31 to open our mouth, to judge righteously, and to plead the cause of the poor and needy. We've seen how to judge righteously pertaining to those three groups that we have mentioned. So the next part that I'll mention about that Proverbs 31 verse is the open your mouth part, and I'll be very brief here. The verse that we already read there in Leviticus as God was instructing Moses, Leviticus 20 verse 1, if you look at it, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say. Everyone shout the word say with me. Ready, set, go. Say. You shall say to the children of Israel, there was an opening of his mouth that Moses was to do. And I believe with all of my heart, church, that we also, as God's New Testament, New Covenant people, we are to also open our mouth against this and not turn a blind eye to it. When people say things at cookouts this summer, which I guarantee some of us will hear this exact thing, is that abortion is women's health care. It's not women's health care. Caring about the health of the woman inside that womb. It is not women's health care. People get abortions because of convenience for the same reason that Hitler did, for the same reason that Stalin did, for the same reason that Pharaoh did, for the same reason that Herod did. They do it for the reasons of convenience. It's not women's health care. It's done for convenience. The human heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. And it's so crazy to me to think that in this civilized life in which we live, that this sin of abortion outpaces by so many times over all of the other examples that we think about in scriptural history or even American history of the heinous things that have been done. Abortion outpaces them hugely many times over in just a brief moment. Proverbs 6, 16, verse 17 says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and the hands that shed innocent blood. So you say, Pastor Ben, we know what to think biblically. Now, we've seen from God's word that we ought to speak up. We've seen how to judge righteously pertaining, how to think righteously, how to judge righteously about these groups of people. What do we do now? Where do we all, what, what do we do? What's the command for us as believers, as New Covenant Community Church in Johnson High? What are we supposed to do? How do we plead the cause of the poor and needy? 
Perhaps you've heard the story of a boy that was walking down the beach and he, he saw where the tide had gone out, exposing where thousands upon thousands of starfish were sitting. And they were drying out, they were dying in the sun, and this boy starts to take these starfish and starts to cast them back into the ocean. And, and a passerby sees this boy trying to pick up one starfish at a time, casting it back into the ocean, just seeing the multitudes of thousands of them. And, and the passerby says to the boy, you, this is a fool's game. You're not even going to be able to make a dent in all the starfish that are out here. And he says, I understand that, the boy said. But what I just did for this starfish meant everything for that one. He didn't tiptoe around it. So what I want to tell you this morning, church, is we ought not to ever be a people that tiptoes around this issue. We ought to be a people who sees it. And yes, it is a huge problem. It's a huge problem all over the world. This same kind of wickedness that has boiled up into this huge thing called abortion that's all over the world now. It's a huge issue. But just because it's a huge issue doesn't mean that we shouldn't do what we can when we can for the one that we can. Amen? We ought to be the kind of church that should there ever be a believing sister among us, a young girl who falls into sin and... And she gets pregnant and, and her idiot parents are trying to get her to have an abortion. And, and we ought to be the kind of church that that, that young girl could sit down with Abby and I and, and, and share with us her need. And, and that someday, and perhaps it's probably not a matter of if this happens, it's probably just a matter of when, that, that someday we, we might have a young girl that's up here that's standing before the family of God. And, and I could look at all of you. This is the kind of church we ought to be, friends. Listen to me now. We ought to be the kind of church that has a girl standing up here like this, and I say, okay, this girl needs so many thousands of dollars, a place to stay, she needs a car, she needs all of these things. Who can supply this girl a car? And some of you men who's got lots of money in the bank account and plenty of cars in the garage, you ought to stand up and say, I've got a car, we'll get her name on the title on Monday. And I say, okay, now this girl needs someone who can take care of this baby when it's first born so that she can finish getting her schooling done with what she's doing at the trade school. Who can watch this baby three times a week? And then some of you ladies stand up and say, I'll watch the baby, I'll do it for free. So let me, I'll take the baby, don't worry about a thing, I'll take care of it. We ought to be the kind of church, dear friends, that does that kind of thing that we can look at that girl and say, the church has opened its mouth. The church has judged righteously and we've pled the cause for this poor and needy baby that's inside of your room. Honey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to see that you walk through this all right you're going to be okay we ought to be the kind of church dear friends that should it be me or another pastor after me in this pulpit that were ever to take a liberal leaning in this department of abortion this creation of God, these Holy Spirit temples that God has knit together with His own hands, that should there ever be a pastor from New Covenant Community Church that takes a liberal stance, a liberal leaning, you ought to fire his rear end. Get him out of the pulpit. He doesn't belong there. I spoke with someone last week who I know who works at Heartbeats in Newark. And heartbeats, hopefully you know by now, but if you don't, they are a pregnancy care center that is a pro-life pregnancy care center. They seek to preach the gospel to couples that are in this situation of having a baby that are, when they're not married, and many of them are very young. And, and they provide all kinds of free services from ultrasounds. They really try to get the girl to see the ultrasound because more times than not, if a lady sees the ultrasound, she won't abort her baby. 
And they provide the pregnancy test. They provide the ultrasound. They provide them in the environment that they need to be in to get them to choose life, to see what it is. They're not trying to get this girl to do something that's false. They're trying to get them to see what's true and to act on that truth that it is a baby, precious baby in the womb. And just last year in 2020, there are now 16 babies, 16 babies in Licking County that will be turning one-year-old this year because they were saved. So what can we do? And Brian, you guys can come to the music at this point. So what can we do? Because as far as I know, this situation of having a young lady that we could come alongside of and see that her every need is met as a church, that hasn't happened yet. That's not this morning. It would absolutely be our job, and I hope should something ever happen to me, that it is just the precedence as normal in this church, that that's what you do as the family of God for someone like that, that you open your mouth, that you judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. I hope that that is just normal here. But that's not this morning. This morning, to my knowledge, that is not this day. What this day we have an opportunity to do is to pile all of our money together in an offering that the church keeps none of. We're giving 100% of it away to heartbeats so that all the ladies that they will interact with that are not here, those ladies that need that kind of help, they're not here. If they were, we'd do everything we could to take care of them, but they're not here. But they're there. Heartbeats will catch ladies that we would never be able to catch as a church. And we have an opportunity to give to that cause to see that they are funded, to see that their staff are paid so that the, the people that work at Heartbeats can then go feed their families, to see that Heartbeats itself has the proper upkeep that they need as a building, that they have the machines that they need to be able to do those ultrasounds, all the supplies and testing equipment. They need funds for all of that. And we have an opportunity this morning as a church to put all of our funds together. So if you've got your purse in your car, your wallet in your car, now's a good time to go get it. Because I want this offering to be a good offering. I want us to knock I want us to make a dent for the kingdom of God, for us to put our money where our mouth is. We have an awesome opportunity to do it. This church doesn't care about your money. We're not keeping any of it. We're giving 100% of it away. And boy, am I blessed as a pastor to be able to lead people in doing that. So if you're joining us online, even if it were to be a week from this service, you're going to see a screen come up from where you're watching, and it will be a link to our online giving platform where you can go on our online platform and click the drop-down option and hit Heartbeats to give specifically to that. So if you forgot your checkbook this morning, you can do that. But if you have an offering ready, I'm going to ask for all of you to stand. If you have an offering this morning... And there are plates, there's a plate over here, there's a plate over on this end, and there are plates up here as well. And I'm going to ask you to walk from your seat where you are and come and place it in one of these things. We're going to bring it all together, and then this week we'll be sending it all to heartbeats. Let's sing as we pray, as we worship, and give. It's time, church, to open your mouth. It's time to judge righteously, and it's time to plead the cause of the poor and needy. Come and give as you do it.